know about you, but I love chocolate. <laughs> I love that, man. Chocolate church. There we go. That's good. Yeah, I appreciate, uh, appreciate Pastor Jonathan and uh, let me preach today. Very nice. Very nice. I was worried. I didn't know. Uh, man, that guy's just, he's just contagious. He just fires you up. I don't know. I understand a word he said, but I'm just very excited about it. <laughs> what's going on. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, God's doing crazy things in Cuba, and he's called our church to be part of it. And many through our Spanish ministry. And so, just so, so proud of those folks. And so, it's, it's great to be one church together as, as we become more one. So, excited about that. Um, I don't know if you were here last Sunday. We had kind of Vision Sunday. Uh, starting this new year, 2020. So we talked about where we are as a church uh, and where we're headed. And basically, just to, if you hadn't seen that, I encourage you to go back and watch the video. But just to capsulize kind of what we talked about, uh, one thing we wanted you to do is show up. And you did. Thank you for showing up today. It means a lot. Ministry of presence uh, is very powerful. Just to have a, a room full of folks, it's energetic, it's exciting. It's, I love walking in the church doors on Sunday morning and seeing my family there. Uh, to greet me, and that's, that's for all of us, so thank you for that. Uh, encourage people to serve. If you don't have a place to serve and want to serve, want to know what our needs are, we'll be happy to tell you that. You can stop by the information desk there, and we'll be happy to share what, what's available, where you might be able to plug in. Giving, giving relationally as we get to know each other. Uh, we decided we want to be a church where it's a great place to make friends. We don't just want to be a friendly church. Most churches are friendly. We want to take it a step deeper and actually make friends share life together and, and experience that. So we invest relationally with one another. We invest with our finances by giving. As you see, we're able to do a lot of these things worldwide because of those of you who give. So that's an important part of it. And so we uh, talked about we don't want to have cliques. We don't have little groups that just stick together. We want to be inviting to others, welcoming to everyone. When people come to this place, we don't want them to ever be turned off from God because of the way they were mistreated or no one paid attention to them, so we want to be overboard. We want to make them like, just stay away from me. I've had enough, right? And then I challenge you to begin to think about it, pray about it, if you'd like to join me in fasting one meal a week to pray. Now, if you don't know what fasting is, it mainly means going without a meal, not eating. And during that time, you would be eating to actually pray, right? And so to spend that time in prayer one meal a week, that's all we're asking in this challenge and uh, just to, to spend that time, prayer, Bible study, whatever you, you might do, rather than feeding your face, you'll feed your soul, right? And just to let you know, a warning, uh, the word fasting is a misnomer. It doesn't go fast at all. <laughs> when you're not eating, that's, it's like, well, it's, it's in two hours. No, it's only 10 minutes. So just know that. But it's, it's a great way to connect to God. And I've asked you to pray these two prayers. Father, is there anything in my life that is offensive to you? And the second is, Father, is there anything in my church that is offensive to you. And really believing as we pray that together as a church, we're going to experience a brokenness. And that's my prayer. First of all, God, break me of my sin, of my stubbornness, of my attitude. Just break me of anything that is offensive to you that you might lead me to a breakthrough. I am really praying for our church to experience a brokenness, that God will remove pride and arrogance. God will remove any kind of hatred or anger or bitterness in our lives. God will remove anything that's going to keep us from experiencing a breakthrough spiritually. I, I think what God has been doing is preparing we, our, our hearts, the soil, if you will, of our church for, for a breakthrough of something he wants to do. And I've got to tell you, part of this inspiration came from what's going on in Spanish ministry. 
if you've not seen it or heard about it, I mean, Sundays, people are just coming down the front broken, kneeling before God. It's a beautiful sight to behold. And because of that brokenness, because as, as a community of faith, they're willing to be broken before God and one another. They're not hiding anything. Then God is leading them through a breakthrough that's having impact in Cuba. I mean, that's just, that's God, right? That's what he does. And so I'm praying for that for our whole church, that we would experience that. And so that's the reason we're going through this series, Broken Before Breakthrough. Because I, I really believe before we experience that breakthrough, there's got to be a brokenness of heart from us. Individually, yes, but as a church as a whole. And that's why we're going to go through First John. The book of First John deals with kind of this dual lifestyle that sometimes we live. This kind of balance between light and dark. The Bible uses light and dark a lot of times. Light to talk about living in God, darkness talking about sin. So there's that, sometimes I think we try to balance that. And John's going to refute that whole idea as we look at it. So just kind of get started, just a raise, of, raise your hands. How many of you would say that you sin more than you want to? It's about 75%. Some of you are good with your sin level. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. You're going to need this. Yeah, me too. I do. I'm a preacher, right? <laughs> but I, honestly, I sin, yeah, I sin more than I, than I want to. And so John's going to deal with that. There's a... A story, you may have heard this story, you may have read the book, maybe seen the movie. Back in 1886, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a book called The Curious Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's been remade a hundred times. But in this book, he describes a man who is a doctor, Dr. Jekyll, uh, and he is a famous doctor in the area. He's a well-respected doctor, does a lot of good for the community, heals people, helps people. And then the other character in this story is Mr. Hyde. Now, Mr. Hyde is the opposite of Dr. Jekyll. He is evil. He is corrupt. There's not a vice that he doesn't participate in. He gives in to every temptation. doesn't matter what it costs him or anyone else. He lives for himself. And so as the story unfolds, you begin to see there's a connection between these two men, though it's not quite clear what the connection is. And as the story goes on further, you realize this is actually the same person. This is not two separate people. This is one person. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde is one person. Two personalities, two alter egos, that this one has created this persona that he is great and fine and productive and successful, but he's got this dark side. So in this story, the author, Stevenson, asked that question of all of us. How many of us would admit today that we are a little bit like Mr. Hyde. There's this darkness within us, but yet we work very hard to create this persona that we are good. And, and I dare to say that many of us in the church deal with this struggle. I would expect many of us are here today dealing with that struggle. Now we come in all churchy, all good. We know how to talk Baptist, right? We got our big Bible and our churchy clothes, and we come in, and, hey, how are you? Blessed. That's great. Inside, we're dying. Inside, we feel guilty. We're carrying shame. We're hurting. So I had you raise your hands. If you sin more than you want to, that's everybody. 
First of all, we're all sinners. But how many today would admit, I am a sinner saved by grace? Raise your hand. That's the key, right? That's the difference. So let's look at 1 John, uh, what he says to us in this whole issue of this dual life that some of us struggle with. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So in this first chapter, John makes several proclamations. The first one is, the word has become flesh. Now, the author of 1 John is the same author who wrote the Gospel of John. And if you read John 1.1, the Gospel of John says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And it goes on through that description. So it's the same guy giving us the same thought here. The word, which Jesus is the living word, not just the spoken word, the word in flesh, the word of God in flesh, Jesus, a big seminary word we use, the incarnation. God became flesh in Jesus Christ. We just celebrated that at Christmas, right? The incarnation God came to the earth. He left heaven and he came to earth to live our life, to be among us, to point us, to reveal God to us, to reveal the light to us. A couple of days ago, uh, our dryer, the little light bulb went out. I mean, it's tiny, little appliance light bulb. So I went to Lowe's to get an appliance light bulb. And I love this about Lowe's because I didn't know if it was going to be in the appliance section. I didn't know if it was going to be in the lighting section. So when I walk in the door, there's a lady there who had the, the blue vest on. I said, I'm looking for an appliance light bulb for my dryer. And then she said something to me that I love, and this is why I go to Lowe's. Here, let me show you where it is. She didn't say go to aisle 212. And it's somewhere between the mops and the nails. I, I don't know, somewhere. Just look and you'll find it. Right, so I didn't have to go hunt for it. She said, no, come on, I'll show you. As we're going, she said, actually, I just stocked these yesterday. I know exactly what you need. I know exactly where it is. And she went over and she took it and she handed it to me. I didn't have to read labels. I didn't have to read anything. I didn't have to guess. I didn't have to look. She handed me the light bulb that I needed. I took it home, put it in, it worked. This is what Jesus has done for us. I don't want you to have to guess who God is. I don't want to have to wonder who God is. I don't have to... Try to figure out on your own who God is. I want to tell you who God is. This is what Jesus has done. This is the incarnation, God in the flesh. Bringing light to us, the light of life. He says, we proclaim that life appeared. Now, he's not talking about our life when we were born and breathed our first breath until the last breath. He's not talking about that life. He's talking about Jesus' life. Jesus is life. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. So if you're looking for life, I hope you understand you are looking for Jesus. Jesus is our life. He doesn't tell us about life. He doesn't lead us to life. He is life. 
when we understand this, we have life in us now and for eternity. Jesus has appeared. And then John says, look, I don't just tell you this because I've heard it. I don't just tell you this because someone else told me about Jesus. I tell you this, Jesus is life, Jesus is light because I lived it. This is John, the disciple, the apostle who lived with Jesus. We've heard him, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've hugged him, we've high-fived with him, we ate with him, we lived with him. I guarantee this Jesus I'm telling you about is the real deal. He really exists. He is the truth. That's a big difference, right? When you come up on a scene or you hear a story, if you hear it from an eyewitness, you know it's right. Investigators, when they come up on a scene or investigating a crime, they want to find eyewitnesses, right? Let's canvas the neighborhood and see if there are any eyewitnesses. We want to hear firsthand what happened. John is saying, I'm telling you firsthand what's happened and who this guy is so that you might believe. This is not rumor. This is the truth. In fact, all Christianity, the church, is built on this proclamation. Life has appeared. Eternal life is possible. Remember Jesus with his disciples? And he was asking, well, what are people say, who are people saying that I am? And then he said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And then Peter made that historic foundational statement, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, the Father has revealed this truth to you. And upon this rock, he wasn't talking about Peter's life. He was talking about Peter's statement. Upon this rock, I will build my church. We are built on the fact that Jesus is life. Amen? That's what makes us a church. That's what separates us from country clubs and social clubs. This is why we were a church, because we are built upon the foundation that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. This is called the scandal of particularity. Say that with me. The scandal of particularity. In other words, there is no other Jesus. This individual is the one. It is the one that they were waiting for. It is the one that they prophesied about. There is not another Jesus coming. He is it. All prophecy, all preparation, all things are wrapped up in him. In the beginning was the word. That's Jesus. All things are made through him and by him and for him. That's Jesus. The reason we are here, everything we're about is Jesus. Just say his name out loud. Jesus. Jesus, right? If you are in Christ, that does something to you. If you're in the light, you, you feel goosebumps or something, right? There, there's energy tied to that name. There's truth tied to that name. He is the only one. He existed before time and space, outside of time and space, but he entered time and space, came to our planet to show us God. Martin Luther said this, when I am told that God became man, I can follow the idea, but I just do not understand what it means. For what man, if he left to his natural promptings, if he were God, would humble himself to lie in the feed box of a donkey or hang upon a cross? I, yeah, I'm with Martin. I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. Which one of us would have left heaven to come down and live our lives? Because <laughs> life is tough. But yet Jesus demonstrated how much God loves us by doing this. So a right understanding, as John is trying to teach us, a right theology, a right Christology, an understanding of Jesus and who he is, 
builds community. Again, we are a church because of Jesus. We are connected, body, mind, and spirit, because of Jesus. Because we are way different from each other. But the connection, the foundation, is Jesus. Right? Thinking about Jesus creates community. You're probably familiar with the the organization Mothers Against Drunk Driving. That really began in the heart of a mom in 1980 whose daughter had been killed by a drunk driver. And she started to do studies. She discovered that that year, 1980, 25,000 people died in alcohol-related crashes. Half of all the car crashes in the nation were because of alcohol. 25,000 people died. That was more people than died in the war that year. And so she decided to do something about it. She took a picture of her daughter around to anybody who would listen, saying, we've got to change the laws in California so this doesn't happen to another family like it did to mine. Now, 1980, since then, thousands and thousands and thousands have joined this movement. One woman created a movement, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, because we all agree that's a terrible thing, a horrible thing. Her goal is to eradicate it completely in our nation that there are no more drunk drivers. What an incredible goal. But because of that desire and so many people who feel the way she does about it, she's created a community. God has created a community within us because we think the same thing about Jesus. And again, that's why he starts out. Jesus is the key. We've got to deal with Jesus. All other theology comes out of our Christology, comes out of our feelings, understanding, beliefs about Jesus. Everything that we do comes out of our belief about Jesus. That's why he started with Jesus. That's why you need to start with Jesus. Jesus is the key. He is the answer. He is the foundation. He binds us together. He's created a community. It is a radical community. Jesus came more, for, more than just personal renewal, which many of us have experienced, personal renewal, a relationship with Christ. Christ also came to transform the world. That's why he's left us here to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. His purpose is to create a radical community, which we are part of in Christ as the church, to transform the world. He called us to impact Burleson, yes, but he's also called us to impact the world. Cuba, Africa, Haiti, Guatemala, the world. God can change the world through his church. That's his desire. So it creates us and binds us together. He makes a second proclamation. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Look at verse 5. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And then he gets personal. If we claim to have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Right thinking about God is necessary to be in community, to be in communion with one another. Any Star Wars fans here? Have you seen the the latest one? Surely you know about Star Wars, right? It's been around for 200 years now, right? 
Well, if you've watched the last two or three movies, Ray is the protagonist in, in the movie, and she is here to balance the force. That One of her calling, if you will, is to bring balance to the force, the balance between good and evil. John would go and see Star Wars because he loves Star Wars, right? But he would say to that, no, 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 that's not what we need to do. We're not trying to balance things. We're not trying to find the yin and the yang of life. We're not trying to do more good things than bad things and somehow bring about balance in our life. No, the light doesn't balance with the darkness. The light removes darkness. That's the goal. Not, not well, I just allow a little bit of darkness in my life because, man, there's a whole much more light, right? No, light always overcomes the darkness. In God, there is no darkness in, at all, only light. The darkness is a horrible thing. God reveals himself as light, as fire. He's all-consuming fire. Exodus 3, he was the fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Psalm 104, 2, God wraps himself in light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Light always overcomes darkness. Now, the thing about light, it's revealing. It's exposing. When you're under the light, you see everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So when you enter into the light of God's love, just know everything about you will be exposed. You can't hide anything else in the darkness if you truly are in the light. So that's the question. Do we live in the light of God? Or are we the people in the darkness that the light exposes? So there's some evidence of darkness the scripture talks about. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can. It's a movie about a real guy, Frank Abagnale, who was a con artist. He pretended to be a doctor. He pretended to be a lawyer. One time he pretended to be an airline pilot, and he fooled a lot of people, stole a lot of money from people because he was living a lie. John is saying to us, some of us honestly are living a lie. We say we're in the light. We say we walk or live in the light of God, but actually we... We live in the darkness. We've allowed darkness to take over. If you say you're a Christ follower, but you gossip, you cheat on your wife, cheat on your husband, you covet the lives of others, you want to live like all your Facebook friends, you're judgmental, you tear others down to build yourself up, you cheat on your taxes. You lie just a little bit. John says, you are a liar. In verse 8, he says, the life is not in you. And who's the life? Now, he's not talking about occasional sin that we trip up every day on. He's talking about a pursuit. If we are pursuing sin, if we are allowing sin to remain, sinful habits, well, that's just who I am. If just a little bit of darkness, surely that's okay. He said, if we live in that sphere of influence of darkness, then we are a liar, and Jesus is not in you. You can't live this double life. Now, Paul said, hey, why is it the things I know I should do, I don't do? The things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. We all connect to that. 
but are you deliberately sinning in your life? Deliberately, boldly, rebelliously going against God's word, then you are a liar if you say you're in the light. But the joy of this letter is John reminds us that God calls us out of the darkness and into the light. But just know that the light exposes. The light is like an x-ray that penetrates beyond our outer appearance and sees what's going on inside. And sin is like a malignant tumor in our life that has one purpose, and that is to destroy. And if you step into the light, the laser light of God, the x-ray light of God, that tumor is going to be exposed, and you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to let God deal with it. And he can remove it. And it might be painful, but you don't want to live with cancer. It has one purpose, and that's to destroy. Stepping into light means I understand as a Christian the depth of my sin. I understand. I've admitted how horrible sin is. And I've admitted that I am a sinner. And that I live in darkness, and I don't want to live in darkness anymore. I want to live in the light. And John says, the evidence of light, first, our sins have been forgiven. And second, we have fellowship with one another. Because if we're all living in the light, it unites us together. We have fellowship with one another as we have fellowship with God. That's the evidence that we live in the light. And the light brings joy, it brings peace, it brings love, and it brings power. This is the light of God. I read a quote, I don't know who it's by, it talked about dishonest spirituality destroys community. In other words, acting like we're spiritually okay and not addressing the darkness in our lives actually impacts the faith community. If you're living a life that sin is a part of it, then it, that actually impacts me. If you're coming to church acting like everything's fine, that sin that you're carrying with you actually has an impact on me, the church as a whole. And this is the quote. When participation in the body of Christ is motivated by interest other than the worship of God, when the foundation of our spirituality is not built on a candid assessment of sin, and a healing experience of forgiveness, when the center of spiritual life, Jesus Christ, is gone, then churches cannot build the transforming, forgiving, generous communities they desire. Walking in the light is the only way we can genuinely walk with each other. So walking in the light, first of all, means that I acknowledge I need forgiveness and I accept that I am being forgiven. There's two sides to that. You can admit that you need forgiveness, but if you do not believe you're being forgiven, you're still dabbling in the darkness. If you have defined yourself by your sin, it's going to be easy to step back into the darkness and allow the darkness to remain. And you continue that cycle of frustration. So John introduces to us the scalpel to remove the tumor, the laser to remove the tumor of sin in our life. Look at verse 9. 
we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sin. Amen? He will make us new. He will cleanse us and he will purify us. Yeah, well, I can live any way I want then because I've been forgiven, right? Yeah, big picture, yes. But every time you sin, you face the consequences. Every time we sin, we face the, the discipline of God in our life. So confession should be a daily habit. We sin every day, we need to confess every day. And let me just say, God, at the end of the day, God forgive me for all my sins. That doesn't cut it. That's a good beginner prayer maybe, but you got to go deeper. God, forgive me when I lied to my wife. God, forgive me when I cussed out that lady that cut in front of me. God, forgive me when I disobey my parents. God, forgive me when I listen to that gossip about another church member. God, forgive me when I participated in that conversation that was not honoring to you. We sin specifically. We've got to confess specifically. And the promise is forgiveness. Our sin is removed from God's accounting. Forgiveness and purification, which means he removes even the residual effects of sin. The guilt that we carry, the shame that we carry, he removes all of that. So I just want us to do this. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a few minutes. And I just want us to take this time to confess our sins to God. Or ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin in your life. That you can be right before God. So this is how we're going to do it. I'm just going to take a minute. We're going to. Just you and God confessing your sins, praying that prayer. Father, is there anything in my life that is offensive to you? And, and just deal with it right now. In just a minute, a praise team is going to, praise band is going to lead us. They're going to sing over us. And this is your chance to respond. And I'm going to have some pastors down front. And they're going to be here to, to pray with you if you need to talk to someone or pray with someone. And they're going to be here now. And also, they're going to hang out after the service if you need to talk to someone. Hey, maybe there's something you need to confess. James 5, 16 says to confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Maybe you need to tell somebody what's going on in your life. Not so they'll judge or condemn you, but so they'll help you. We have people available even after the service. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Or maybe you're here today and your first confession is, God, I need you in my life. I, I confess that Jesus is leader and forgiver and I invite him into my life. Maybe that's where you need to start today. These folks can help you. This is your time with God. And I challenge you just to be that open with him and listen to him. He knows what you did. He just wants to hear you say it. 
is that's when healing really starts.